Growing and scaling a business is complex. It can be very scary and lonely trying to navigate it all. It comes down to the community of trusted people you surround yourself with. Let's dive in to the Business is People podcast. Very excited to have our special guest today, Eileen Melendez, who is the CEO and founder of HR Transform. It's been very hard to get her on the show. She is someone that's highly sought after, and she typically doesn't do podcasting. So she is doing ours for the first time, and where I call her the Yoda of HR. So welcome to the show. Thanks, Kam. It's good to be here. A topic we're going to discuss today is you hear about it all the time, retaining, recruiting, but specifically it's about finding, I mean, there's so much good candidates out there and they get really good at interviewing. So like, how do you weave through the chaos and finding the right person? Because I think, I feel like the turnover is still really quick. Yeah. I think one of the tactics that I like to tell business owners is to start using a little bit more of the behavioral interviewing style, as opposed to just the traditional questions. So for example, if you wanted to know, you know, what would you do if your client was upset? That's a traditional question because it gives you an answer of like what they would do or, you know, a yes or no answer. Like, yeah, you know, I would totally call them up and see what's going on with them and try to figure out what their problems are. The behavioral questions are going to go a little bit more in depth about what they did do in certain circumstances. So you would ask a question like, tell me about a time when a client called you upset, what was the issue and what did you do to resolve it? Business owners should get the answer that they're looking for, which is what did you do in that circumstance? Because that will help you analyze whether or not they're going to do the same thing at your organization. And the difference between what would you do versus what did you do makes the difference. So when you are interviewing and you start liking their answers, like, oh, you would call them up and you would do this. You really want to talk about like, tell me about a time where everything went wrong. Tell me about a time when you missed every deadline. Tell me about a time when a client left or a customer left your business and left a really poor review, or you had to handle a hard situation or you had to resolve a hard situation. Those are the things that you want to learn about because you want to know what their mindset was in the moment, how they handled it. And then the most important thing, once you've heard their story is what would you have done differently? Then you ask the hypothetical, what would you have done differently? And if they say, well, nothing, it went totally fine. Obviously not. We don't live our professional life perfectly. We make mistakes. We have problems that are difficult to solve. We may fail. You want to hear about those things and you want to hear how resilient the person is in solving that. Because if you do just ask a bunch of hypothetical questions, you're going to get somebody who may not actually do those exact things when the time comes with one of your clients. So for example, if somebody said, I would call your client up and find out what happened and solve the problem and make sure and follow up five times to make sure they were very happy. And then you hire them and that doesn't happen. I've seen that happen a lot of times where it's like, they gave me the best answer. And when it actually came down to doing that, day one or day two or day three on the job, it didn't happen. And now I'm second guessing that I made the right decision. So those behavioral questions become very important. Remember the, what would you do is hypothetical, traditional. And then your behavioral is what did you do when this actually happened to you or to your organization? You know, when we think about interviewing candidates or attracting talent, 
it's almost no different than businesses when they're trying to figure out, is this a qualified client that we want to take on? I feel like you approach candidates no different than you approach sales if you're in a service business, right? And like you're trying to align yourself from a B2B standpoint, is this the right type of client for us? Is it a good fit for us? It's the same way in, in, in the employee side of it. So you're asking these questions to kind of narrow that down. How important is like messaging when it comes to getting the right candidate in the door in the beginning before you even get into the interview process? What, what type of advice can you give businesses to better filter those candidates? I think it starts with mindset, Com. Mindset going into the interview. If you're going to interview someone and you're looking for someone to integrate nicely, you may want to ask questions about how do you integrate? How do you first introduce yourself to a client and see if it aligns with the way that you want to run your business? The other one is, can this person shake things up for us? Can this person actually inject something new and something different that changes our culture and our internal makeup at this organization? And thus, our clients may see us differently, may see us more progressive or more imaginative or more creative. What does this person do to this organization? So I would certainly think about what is it that the company needs? Sometimes a company's like, join our culture, fit into this bubble. And what they get is someone who changes that bubble, maybe enhances that bubble or doesn't enhance that bubble. So the mindset needs to be clear, right? The intention of bringing a person into your organization needs to be clear. One, they have a job to do. Can they do that job? Can they meet the expectations? Can they enhance the culture? Because if it's to fit in and just kind of like, you know, it's kind of, slide right in and be almost unnoticeable. It may not be what you want or it may be what you want. So I think you need to be very clear, mindset, intention, what do I need? What do I want? And what am I gonna be okay with? Sometimes when you have people join the organization, I see this all the time, they change the internal knitting and the internal makeup of who that company is. The more different generations you bring in, you bring in a bunch of Gen Zs, or you bring a bunch of Gen X or millennials, they're going to change the way your culture evolves. And sometimes companies say, wow, we're really changing a lot. There's a lot of, you know, maybe younger folks here and the mindset is different. So the person interviewing needs to be open and understand their mindset or their intention in bringing that person in in terms of defining if that's going to be the right fit, right? Organization, job expectations, skill set, and can they come in and shake up this bubble that we've got going on? I'm hearing you, and it makes sense, right? You're asking these questions, but can someone, you know, okay, I know that they may affect our culture. Are they aligning with the goals that we're trying to accomplish here? Is it that easy or like, is there more nuance to... I mean, you're so good. You make it look easy, right? But, but <laughs> there's gotta be nuances between like Googling it, maybe asking someone and just, okay, I'm going to just go into this interview and ask these questions to see if they align with our culture. I feel like there's a lot more surgical, tactical ways to yes. accomplish it versus it, than just trying to ask these questions. Right. <laughs> there is a training that I do called effective interviewing. And I essentially work with anyone who's in a training capacity 
in a manager capacity who's going to be hiring someone to work on their team to really put them through a rigorous interview, like a workshop. So role-playing is what happens in that workshop that helps a business owner or a manager or a hiring manager determine if they're interviewing correctly, if they're finding the little tidbits of information that they need to make a decision. To further answer your question, Com, there is this uh, right time, right place theory in HR when it comes to recruiting. If you interview someone one time in one setting and you get these answers and you absorb these answers and they sound good to you, you actually need to create a secondary cycle or even a tertiary cycle in recruiting where you change the environment or you change the interviewer, you change the questions because you actually want to get multiple variations of that person. So right time, right place is essentially, I'm at the right time, I'm at the right place, I said the right things and I got the job. It's very one dimensional. So to get more understanding or more out of your recruiting process, you have to kind of throw out the one place, you know, the right time, right place theory and challenge yourself to create these multiple levels of interviewing. If you want to ensure that you're getting someone with the skill set that you need to handle the expectations of the job. I guess I'm thinking it's almost like before you marry someone, you date them. And you're doing all these different things to find, is this the right person? Because when you bring on the candidates, it's kind of like a marriage, right? Because people could interview very well once or twice. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I can see your point. You put them in different maybe scenarios, meet with different people. They all have different perspectives. Yes. Uh, It's like bringing them into the family. Everyone meets this person before you ask them to marry you, right? Is that kind (laughs) of like what you're saying there? I might have did a good or bad job in that analogy. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it is similar. You definitely want varying opinions, right? And you essentially try to hire for skill. And sometimes when you're in an interview, hiring managers forget to get skill-based questions out of them. Like, you know, what would you do if a client was upset or everything is falling on you? All the deadlines are due literally in an hour and you are definitely not getting them all done. What do you do in that situation? These hypothetical questions are also good about determining the skill set. And also when you did miss a deadline, you know, those behavioral questions, when you did miss a deadline, what happened? It could have been a great interview. They could have had a great morning. They could have had their morning run and their awesome coffee with mushroom. I don't know, whatever it was that they put in their coffee and they showed up. And that's not what happens every day in the life cycle of an employee. There are days where they don't mentally show up to work. And so not that you're trying to catch them in not showing up, but you definitely want to create these like multi-tiered facets of interviewing. And that's why some companies put in really interesting questions sometimes. Like if you were a stapler, tell me, you know, what you would be used for other than stapling, or if you were a bird, what kind of bird would you be? You know, they put these questions in. I'm not a huge fan of them. However, I really respect the folks who ask them and ask them with a purpose, a good intention in that interview to see, you know, how they would handle these on the fly sort of um, quick questions. Because as we know, clients put you in that situation all the time. And if you can't think on your feet for certain positions, you know, that makes sense to add some like, you know, what would you do if you were a stapler? Give me five things a stapler would do besides stapling. Those questions make sense for folks who are looking for a really true, like on the fly, off the cuff sort of thinker. But certainly sort of speed dating is a good analogy for when you're finding that one person that you're going to bring into this organization that's going to do what you need them to do and enhance your business and enhance your client base or enhance your service. 
and also enhance the employees around them, right? You want to bring somebody into the organization that creates value, not just for the purpose of the organization, just for internal value. Does this person bring the best out of the people around them? Do the other people that I have bring out the best in this person? Am I creating an environment of this wonderful atmosphere where we're all creating value with each other? And so right place, right time, we've got to break that. We've got to break that. We've got to create a scenario where we're finding the different facets of this person and seeing if all those, the way that the person shows up in all those circumstances really works for us. What are you seeing in, like you touched upon a lot of different ways for interviewees and for companies to better, you know, sort through their candidates. Like, what are you seeing that are the most common pitfalls right now in today's employer? And of course, there's the way that people are looking for companies have has shifted, right? You know, we're a lot remote. There's definitely a difference in like hybrid workplace or just understanding, you know, if you want to call it work-life balance, what are you seeing are the pitfalls of employers and how can they improve on that? Dehumanizing the recruiting process. And I do a lot of talks at universities and colleges, mostly in the Northeast and mostly virtually right now. And I have gotten a few questions recently about how do I ace the interview when it's a quick video interview where on the screen it's being recorded and on the screen, the questions pop up and they have to give their answer in the time allotted. And then it goes to the next question. And this is not a human to human interaction. It's a robot to human interaction. And these college students are really not upset, but scared because they've never really interviewed before. They haven't been doing this for years. And now they're just sort of answering questions on a video that are going to be sent to someone. They have no idea who they are. And that person's going to weed through these videos and find their next person to be hired. There's a lot of anxiety with the college students with this type of interviewing process. And so I think that's a pitfall right now. I believe that there should be maybe a recorded interview, maybe if you wanted to record the interview, or you still meet with that person because again, right place, right time, robot interviews before you even have a chance to allow the person to understand your organization as well. There's a give and take. And if the recruiting process doesn't have a give and take, it's one-sided and it's company-sided. And again, like I'm a very balanced HR person. I totally understand the business and how it needs to operate. And I really understand how humans also want to connect with that business. And so sending a robot to do an interview is just a massive, massive pitfall. That's interesting you bring that up. So there's the software I've been checking out. It's called Video Ask from Typeform. And you can record yourself. I was thinking about using it for client success but also potential, you know, for candidates to kind of like first round. So you're wearing the HR side and you're representing the candidate, but well, you represent the business and the candidate, but I see you're putting yourself in the shoes of the candidate, which I always advocate. I think you always put yourself in the user, but uh, putting on the employer hat, right? Like, okay, how do I be efficient and going through all these candidates? Of course we want to talk to them, but how do we like weed out and be efficient? Like maybe round one, round two will be more in person. So we're going to be testing out this technology where you can record, I can record myself or our HR person can record themselves. And then they can record, they can actually at their own leisure answer on video on their phone or on their desktop. And then we can listen to it because it transcribes. But I see what you're saying. There's anxiety 
But I feel there's anxiety, even if it wasn't a robot or video. I think it's just, that's just the jitters, right? Because it's so important. What's your feedback on that? Because I was thinking like, you know, I think other companies are trying to also do the same thing. They're trying to figure out how to be more efficient, leverage technology to create a more like virtual experience. Cause that's kind of where we are today. Yeah. And not many people are meeting in person. And now more people are recruiting globally or regionally or nationally versus locally. So saving that trip or flying out, leveraging some type of technology to be a little bit more humanistic versus just like, you know, a questionnaire. If I decide to do that or all the people decide to do that, how could that experience be better? I think you have to test it for bias. You have to test it for bias. There are some people who don't do good on tests and some people who ace the test. I believe if you're not giving someone the opportunity to show themselves and their behavior in a more comfortable environment, you're not going to get their full self. And it's all about that behavior. And we think about it. Think about our kids in school. I think my kids were always good at tests. Well, my oldest son was very good at tests. And my middle son, no matter how fantastic he thinks he is, he struggles with tests. And it doesn't mean that he doesn't know what he's talking about because you get him in front of you and he's really, really passionate about maps and countries and states. And he can tell you the GDP of almost every country and he's nine years old, but he doesn't do great on tests, right? Like he will miss a few questions because he misses that detail. So the environment that you put somebody through when you're interviewing them is important because of the bias. And I would hope that the robots or you know the person who is going through the audio or the video do not allow their unconscious or implicit bias to affect that process. Whereas if I see a resume and I say, you know, this person has the basics of what I need, I'm gonna get on the screen with them and make them comfortable. I want to see their true selves. And that doesn't usually happen if it's just a video exchange. There's no heart in it. So call me old school. I do like the one-on-one interaction. I do like to see that person change from being like really rigid and nervous to very relaxed in themselves. Like I want to pull out their authentic self, their work authentic self, their casual authentic self, and their buttoned up authentic self, right? Everyone has these different facets of themselves. And I'm just afraid that the video removes that. And those who know how to perform in front of that camera will get the job. And those who don't, that have like an incredible skill set, may miss that boat. And to me, there's that bias there that I'm not willing to give up yet. I really do see passion and skill and people who may not show up in that way on screen, on video. Wow, you totally paradigm shift me because I can relate to what you're saying. Like I did great in school, but I was really horrible at tests. I'm still like that. Even now, like I know I'm pretty good at handling stress, but it's still built into my DNA. Like if I have to take a test, but once someone gets to know me and like to your point, get them comfortable, I'm going to totally crush it. So that's actually really great insight. That's really powerful. I think a lot of people are just trying to scale the HR process and interview process, but they're not humanizing it or finding ways to get their authentic self. So that was really great. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. I I just feel like if you're employing that human and they are going to have that human interaction with those people, whether it's virtual interaction with other people to get a job done or in-person interaction to get the job done, or they're interacting with your clients, I think you need to see what that looks like. I think you need to create that casual environment. 
I would always want to mimic what their real life, what their work life is going to be like in the interview process. So when I get on screen with someone who is going to be client facing and I see how they are with me, the one person that they started meeting with from the organization, I'm like, all right, this is what they're going to look like in front of the client. This is their best self, potentially, potentially. Let me see if they all get more casual. Let me see if they get more rigid. You know, I love to play off of those human behaviors that come out in the interviewing process. And especially for client facing, I want to present a candidate to business owner or hiring manager and say, they've got something great here. And maybe the skill is lacking, but it sounds like from these answers that there's something there or they show up great. I don't know. There was no context to their answers. You know, a robot can't tell you that. Not yet, at least. I mean, I'm, I know we're getting smarter out there. Just mm-hmm. if you're going to put, I like to, again, mimic what they're actually going to be doing. And I pretend in my head, I am the client. I am hiring for them to fill this position. This is what that client's going to get. Is this what they need? And let me shift the environment a little bit and see how they respond to that behavior wise. So Eileen, do you think it's wrong then for like companies and HR departments trying to scale and be efficient in the interview process versus actually really focusing on the quality. Because the difference is you can get high volume and hopefully because you're trying to be efficient. And, and of course, everyone's intent at the end of the day, they want the best candidate. Right. There's two approaches, right? You could do try to use technology and leverage it that way or being mindful about the biases and taking the time to kind of have a live person to be agile, to ask contextual questions to get the true self out there. What do you feel is one better than the other? There are people now listening. Okay. I got to go through a thousand resumes. How do I do this? I don't think it's wrong. I do think that it's very smart. It does weed out the additional HR overhead that you would need to kind of go through those resumes. And that's why, you know, you have all these different softwares out there that find keywords and resumes. You have to be intentional in what you do. So is this to save you money or is it to get you the best candidate? Are you going to reject a candidate because they didn't do well in their interview? You are. But could they have been a really great candidate or a really great employee of that company? They could have been. So I think if companies are cost conscious and they want to speed up the screening process, which is essentially what we're speeding up, because I'm sure if you get to the end of the process, you're doing more of those you know, really in-depth meetings and having them meet other people. If you want to speed up that part of the process, make sure that there's no bias. Make sure that you are not only taking that video and eliminating bias from that one video and how that person performed in the video, but certainly having maybe multifacets. Maybe they submit a paragraph or two that they have, you know, 15 minutes to write or something. Again, people learn in different ways, right? There's your kinesthetic learner, there's your auditory learner, there's your visual learner. People are going to interview different ways. And so we can't expect everybody to be cookie cutters and perform on that one video. So I would say they're not wrong. It's certainly a huge advantage to scale that HR process to eliminate the overhead that's associated with having to go through all those resumes for hours and find the right person. There's something to be said about creating a multi- leveled virtual scale up HR process. So I would say if you're just going to gather a video, make sure that there's video, 
make sure that maybe there's a document that's submitted like a resume and also maybe ask some key questions that they can submit something in writing to and then evaluate maybe those three things instead of maybe just a video and a resume. Like I said, on the fly, thinkers may not always be what you need. You might want somebody who wants to take some time and analyze their answers. I do a lot of work with behavioral analysis. And so currently a big fan of DISC and taking flight with DISC from Merrick Rosenberg. And he's very good at really assessing these behaviors. And I'm also PI certified. So I think about those folks who are low Bs, who are very low parrots, right? Like they're talkative and social side. It's not easy to draw that out from them. And so if you put somebody on video that doesn't have the time to kind of formulate their socialness, they're not comfortable with a robot, you're not going to get like a really wonderful view of them because they take that time. And I work with a lot of people on thinking on the fly. I do a sort of a performance-based workshop on thinking on the fly. And one thing that I've seen is that a lot of them want, well, what are the questions that you're going to ask me so I can be prepared? Some people brainstorm in private. Some people want to answer things and research and be intuitive in private. Me, I'm the opposite. I could get here and answer questions and I'm comfortable with that. I'm a social person. I think on the fly out loud. And when you put somebody in the position to do that, that's not inherently a talkative, social, on the fly kind of person. Someone who likes to think in private before they speak up. They're not going to ace that video unless that's what you're looking for, which and I tell you, if you ask a question and you get crickets in response, you're probably not going to choose that person on the video. So multifaceted, scale it, but certainly create a multifaceted way for that person to submit their skill and submit their brain, essentially, to give you what you need and then use your technology to weed out that person. Well, that makes a lot of sense because if, if you're hiring someone in technical the probably someone's very mindful it needs time to analyze and make a decision. So if whoever's interviewing is expecting quick, snappy responses with, you know, nice, like good emotion, that's it, not going to happen because right. th that person probably is going to be more behaviorally, naturally an introvert. So like, that's actually really great, great feedback. And then we've used predictive index. So it's been amazing for us to understand how to ask the right questions. So using tools like DISC and PI predictive index has been great, not just for interviewing, but also managing people. I think understanding, you know, your communication styles. And again, it's tools out there that's available. So it's really up to the company, the leadership team and HR departments to kind of find the right mix that makes sense for them. When someone is on the fence about these tools, because you brought it up a couple of times, do you feel it's a deal breaker? Do you feel like, is it that much more of an advantage to have a tool like this in today's no interview process or HR process versus not? I really like it. And it can go both ways because if you're someone who can pick up on other folks' behaviors, because DISC and PI, it's not about skill, it's about behavior. If you can be in an interview with someone, you pick up those behaviors yourself. You could see, all right, so this person is very casual and very talkative. They seem very sales-oriented. And maybe it's an accounting position where they're going to be in a room by themselves, crunching numbers, not a lot of human interaction in their everyday. You can ask questions about that and say, you know, 
How do you focus on the finance work? How do you create space for yourself to get that done and be super detailed? So those PIs and those discs allow you the information that you need to determine is the behavior that's inherent with this person going to be great for them in this role? And you can ask those questions that kind of bring that out. It's not to say that one behavior would be terrible at one job. However, that person's behavior may not lend themselves to want to do that job. So if I have like this, like I have a very management sales persuader personality, I've given you all my, and I'm a parrot dove. I do well in an HR capacity. I do well. I'm allowed, it allows my behaviors to come out naturally in that role. However, I also do a lot of financial work. Do I love it? No, I'm great at it. I do it really well. I don't want to spend 100% of my time there. I want the behaviors that are natural to me to really shine in my work. And so when I do the HR side of my job, it shows. When I do the finance part of my job, I'm great at it. Like I said, I could do the job, but I'm not 100% happy shifting my behavior for too long of a time. So usually when people know what their behaviors are, they will gravitate towards jobs that fit that, right? So if you're very high D, right? Like the high formality, very high owl, you're someone who is going to love those high attention to detail jobs. Could be accounting, could be, you know, a data entry person. It could be someone who's really great at analyzing data and expressing it in a very analytical way. You know, there's so many different roles that would work, but then maybe they're also a salesperson and they lead with data and that's what you want. So you want someone who's very talkative, but also very data detail oriented. So really thinking about how does the behavior, the natural behaviors of this person lend itself to the job that they want, that they want, that they enjoy. You ask questions about what are your passions? Why did you get into accounting? Why did you get into sales? Tell me about your journey. See if their story comes out in the way that you want it to translate to your clients or to your people internally, if it's an internal job. So I love using those tools because it allows me more information to have a thoughtful conversation around the actual role. And there are some red flags that come up for people who do use PI or DISC in the recruiting process, right? And it allows the opportunity for you to answer those questions because if some companies just say, oh, they're not social, so it's not a good fit. That's not true. Talk to them, see what their shift is, see why they are a chameleon, why are they, you know, they're a very low talkative, you know, a very private introspective person that's applying for sales. Why? Find out. That's the beauty of finding out. Like they applied for the job for a reason. Find out their intention. Is their intention to just get a job and get money? Or is it to further their career? Is this feeding something inside of them that is important? I think about it, right? The company has a job. You have a purpose. You have clients that need you. You are contractually obligated to perform for these clients, right? There's a lot of pressure on businesses to do that. These people come in and they carry out that mission for you. They carry out those contractual obligations. What is their intention of working at your firm? You've got to bring that out. And when you understand their behaviors, then it really creates thoughtful conversations for you 
to know if they're going to actually follow through what you need to do as a business owner. And some people want to just get a job to get a job. And I understand that. That's very, very important. We need to pay bills. We need to further our careers. We're satisfying something in our personal lives that we need. So they need something from you and you need something from them. And getting an understanding of that through PI and DIS, enhancing the conversation, not creating the conversation, enhancing the conversation. That's why I love it. And if you are someone who is an analyst of PI or you've been trained for PI, you've been trained for DISC, you don't actually need the personality profile in front of you for you to ask those thoughtful questions because you may understand and pick up on those behaviors on your own. So there is a benefit for using that mindset, using that sort of behavioral mindset and drawing out why us, why this job, why this career? Talk to me about you. Get that and see if it fits. Drop the mic. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the core of it. But like, there's so many layers, like listening to what you're saying, there is so many layers. I just think some employers and some HR folks or interviewees aren't uncovering and all the good nuggets and, and tips you shared today are wonderful. So it's already at the end of the hour for us. And I hope you know, to have you back, Eileen, if this is something that you know you have yeah. the time for to share with us again. But I mean, this is wonderful. Like a lot of great, great insights here today. So thank you so much. Thank you, Kam. I am happy to come back. All right. And if folks, you know, wanted to reach out to you or they just wanted to get a chance to say, you know what, I love what Eileen's is saying, love to partner with her. Like, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Certainly on LinkedIn, you can look me up. My name is pretty unique. So you can easily find me on LinkedIn or you can email me at Eileen's, A-L-L-Y-N-S at hrtransformed.com. All right. Well, thank you for everything that you do and go out there helping employees and employers, you know, level up all the time. So thank you. If you have any questions and topics you'd like us to cover, please email me at podcast at or message me on LinkedIn.